Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. I'm here at Prescott Hill Climb for the Prescott Historique, which is a gathering, a day's competition for some of the most famous hill climb cars in the UK, if not farther afield. And I am joined today by Nick Upton, chairman of the Bugatti Owners Club, and John Staveley, whose main claim to fame is he has a far longer title than Nick Upton. He's vice president and chairman of the Bugatti Affairs Committee, and he's the editor of Bugantics magazine, and he is also vice president of something else, according to his neighbour. Gentlemen, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thank you for the invitation. Yes. Now, Prescott. Before we went on air, we were saying at the top of the hill climb is a large house, and the Prescott Hill Climb to Prescott House is basically the driveway. But how did Prescott Hill Climb come about? Because it is one of the oldest, if memory serves. Yes, you need to go back a bit further. Yeah. Because the Bugatti Owners Club was started back in 1929. It's the first ever Bugatti club anywhere in the world. Right. So then, then there never was a previous club for people owning Bugattis. Yeah. And and the original patron of the club was a Tory Bugatti himself, the founder of the company. Right. And he was patron for a long while. When the club started, its intention was to provide sporting events for Bugatti owners. I mean, they were a bit renowned for it, especially in parts of France for getting up to things, weren't they? <laughs> but <laughs> Official yeah. or otherwise. If there's any suggestion that our, our members now or then got up to things, I think we would be refreshingly agreeable that that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't mention claret. No. <laughs> How it started was that the three gentlemen had Bugattis, and they had friends, obviously, who had Bugattis as well. But at that particular time between early 1929 and maybe early 30s, the only opportunity for them to exercise them in the manner that a Bugatti should be exercised, which is enjoyment (laughs) and noise, was on hills that were being taken over by a number of housing development companies. So the three gentlemen, uh, and they were the Giles brothers, made the decision that I, long-term-wise, they should find an opportunity for them to exercise their cars correctly under their own terms. <laughs> so, in 1936, uh, a piece of land came up for sale, which is Prescott. Yeah. And it was owned by that particular co- uh, time by a company called the Cotswold Dairy, who, in fact, are still here, and we receive their bottles of milk <laughs> on a daily basis, <laughs> which, is, which is rather nice, rather nice. So the three brothers, or the two brothers and others, put together a sum of money, uh, a relatively modest sum of money, it would appear now, some £2,600. Which was a lot of money back then. 
Well, if you multiply it with uh, the, the the amount that we're looking for at inflation at the moment, it probably is. <laughs> but let's let's not discuss pounds, shillings, and pence. So they acquired the club or acquired the land. I believe. Yeah, the land. I yeah. think it's important to remember a very important person in this whole arrangement was a man called Tom Rolt. Yeah, and Tom Rolt, he was. A great canal enthusiast, but also a motoring enthusiast. Mm. Owned his own Alvis and and liked to do a bit of motorsport himself. And it was he who found the hill. Yeah, he, he found the drive and he drove up the drive and said, "This would be a fantastic place to have a hill climb." Mm. And so he went back to his own club, which was the Vintage Sports Car Club, and said to them, "Look, I've found this incredible place to hold hill climbs." And they said, well, do, could we rent it? Yeah. And he said, I think it'll, it's for sale, I think. So they went back and discovered it was for sale, and they simply couldn't afford it. It was too much money for them yeah. as a club. So they then looked around their members and found they had a number of Bugatti members, and they said, I know, they'll be richer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get them to buy it and allow us to use it. Yeah. This is exactly, exactly what happened. <laughs> so the Vintage Sports Car Club persuaded the Bugatti Owners Club yeah. to buy the hill. The Bugatti Owners Club couldn't actually afford it themselves, yeah. but the Giles Brothers could. And incredibly generously, the Giles Brothers bought it and lent the money to the club mm. on an interest-free loan yeah. over a fairly indeterminate period of time. Yeah. So you're still paying it? <laughs> <laughs> well, they were great Bugatti enthusiasts. They yeah. had a I mean, there, there is a mystique with Bugatti. I mean, a lot of the, what you would call the legendary brands, Rolls-Royce, Bentley, uh, Hispano, Suiza, um, Alvis, but Bugatti just seemed to have something that sets them apart. Whether it was a Tory Bugatti, the man himself that lent them this mystique, because he was he was well known for his attitude to the driver, a little bit like Enzo Ferrari in a way, as to regards his attitude to the drivers and the cars. <laughs> when when I'll, I'll pick up that point. It's interesting when you go back in the history and between probably between twenty seven and early thirties at all the race meetings where his uh, Grand Prix drivers were provided, he provided a picnic basket mm. and bottles of champagne at the race course. <laughs> so there was an element of very, elegance. Very civilised. And he was an extravagantly interesting gentleman, a wonderful designer, as we all know, whether it was locomotive engines, race engines, aeroplanes. Aeroplanes. He, he I mean, we're just across the way from the Bugatti Trust, uh, Angela Hook, I, I interviewed a while ago. I mean, he even designed his own door hinges, which mm -hmm. are yes. immeasurably better than anybody else's door hinges. And things like vices. Yes. Uh, and, and a pasta. Yes, a pasta making <laughs> And even, even the chickens that were in the garden of, of his lovely estate were produced and designed by him for his chickens to live in. <laughs> but that to me designates the real design and desire of a man who had meticulous attitude both to his workforce and the cars that went out and the considerable pride that he had. He still talks, I mean you have horses and the carriages that he has uh, were sold after his death in 1947 I think it was 
the great majority unfortunately going across to the states but the carriage company which is a livery uh, company in the city of London have notes on that and wonderful drawings and sketches of that too. Now hill climbing I mean I'm proud to say that a lot of famous hill climbs which regrettably are no longer in use uh, are to be found in Yorkshire and Lancashire at places like uh, Pateley Bridge, Hebden Bridge, Waddington Fell but hill climbing was and still is a very important part of motorsport although for a lot of people a lot of people don't quite understand it but like motor racing was always used I want again to refer to Enzo Ferrari win on Sunday sell on Monday it was a way of companies like Crossley and Vauxhall when Vauxhall were a high performance manufacturer they were considered more prestigious than Bentley on public roads they used to fill the car up with people and off they went and it was to basically prove the worth of the car uh, that business of public roads is very important because what happened was that people were running competitions on public roads quite legally. Yeah. They were running speed competitions, they were closing roads to run them at times. That was all done legally mm. and unfortunately, we don't like to talk about this really, but it was a Bugatti driver who put a stop to all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was Cophill and a broken leg. Francis mm. Gavin was yes. the man's name, yes. and and he he went off the course yeah. in his Bugatti uh, amongst the crowd, and went back on the course and continued. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th this is a political comment, though, isn't it? Really, I mean, you think that we are a nation of engineers and racing drivers, and yet we have curtailed that opportunity. And yet the Europeans, whether it was Italy, Austria, or particularly France, had the most wonderful hill climbs and sprints. Yeah. Yes. And they had the international racing. We have only had one international hill climb in this country, and I think that was in 1939, mm. uh, when Ettore brought across uh, Jean-Paul Vimelet and his Saint-Jean, and they competed here in the September meeting um, against Raymond Mays, who was an ERA, R4D, I think. R4D, eventually. Yes, yeah. it was. And R4D is here today for the historic. So, I think to a certain extent we've been shoeholed in following the political role rather than the more expansive role that the Jazz Boys wanted with regards to Prescott and hill climbing. Now, the one thing about Prescott, besides the famous cars that have competed here, and like we're saying, some are here today, there's been some very famous drivers competed here. Oh, yes. Years. Yes, and almost you could say, you name them, they've been here, you know, and people like Peter Collins and Sterling Moss, a lot of British drivers uh, all competed here early in their careers they would have done hill climbing yeah and of course that comes back a bit to the question of the use of the public roads that that once the government banned the use of public roads for motor competitions they went as nick said um, a lot of bugatti owners club meetings were on what were to be housing estates yeah now the developers were very keen to get the publicity <laughs> so while they were building the housing estates they wanted racing cars and noise and all that so th that's what happened yeah. but of course once they'd finished them they didn't want any <laughs> thought of racing cars or noise residents didn't want racing cars racing past so 
clubs started to look for venues like this. Yeah. And and uh, which they could buy, and it was a private road, and that had completely changed the whole aspect of motorsport in Britain. Uh, but of course, um, after the war, the law hadn't changed. You still had to. You could only compete mm. on private land, yeah. private roads, and so a lot of racing circuits sprung up on old airfields because there was all that time. Well, the old, I mean, you've Alton Park that was. I mean, the house doesn't exist anymore. No, no sign of it. Alton Park is it's what you might call the some of the roads around the old Alton Park estate yeah so it's like you said silverstone it was the uh, airfield yep. and it's the the circuit technically was or still is the perimeter road mm. now the thing about hill climbing if you're not quite sure it's the cars don't race against each other it's the car against the clock and it's the car against the technicalities of the piece of road that stretches out in front of them yes you've got if something goes wrong, <laughs> if you go off, you've got nobody to blame. But yourself. But <laughs> yeah, you, you can't say uh, Sterling Moss ran into the back of me yeah. because he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> what happened is you left your braking too late. Yeah. You, you went off into the greenery. I mean, in the early days, it was in the greenery. There's some wonderful pictures of... of uh, Prescott with with cars in places that you can't imagine how they got there. <laughs> but nowadays that of course can't happen. It's the much, the much other, more safety conscious. Yes, the other link there is to horse racing because each car has a handicap. Yeah. And the handicap is put on by the individual who is part and parcel of the club. But every event that you would compete in, the car is looked at carefully in terms of its timing and the handicap is adjusted. And I think the most competent drivers are always looking to beat their respective handicap rather than actually come first, second or third. There's a certain glory in achieving that. Talking about your, your, your famous people, Moss came here in 1952 and I think it was the September meeting <clears throat> in a little 500cc. And looking at the, the articles of that particular day, the others following him were Raymond Baxter, which of course is the position that you are holding. Yes, today. the famous commentator and the presenter of Tomorrow's World. Who was you're you're annotating yourself with the word famous, sir. <laughs> no, he was famous. I'm probably just infamous in certain circles. Yeah. But I mean, Baxter was a, besides being a very gifted commentator, was a, was a gifted driver. He was Correct. very capable. Correct. And prior to that, of course, he'd been a fighter pilot. Yes. He was a fighter pilot during the war, and we've seen a Spitfire here today. Yes, I mean, that's the one thing. It's like a lot of the cars here today. The engine, it's the distinct engine notes. You suddenly hear a, a Merlin engine roaring over, and you somebody said, as it arrived, I said, that's not a Merlin engine. I said, you will never forget or misplace the sound of a Merlin engine. No. But that's the one thing, when you stood on the start line, the sounds of the cars and the motorbikes, there's a nice selection of motorbikes here today, it's very, very reminiscent of old motorsport because we've got a lot of cars here today. But, I mean, how, how, what is the distance of the Prescott Hill Climb? About a thousand yards. So it's one of the best, for my continental listeners, a kilometre. If you like. <laughs> and, of course, the hill record... Is is round about thirty four seconds, which is phenomenal. Oh, that's unbelievable! <laughs> From a standing start, and bear in mind that it's quite a steep um, 
course in places. There, yeah. are, there are steep sections, there are sharp corners, and yet they're doing that that near kilometre in 34 seconds. Yeah. The nice thing about the, 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 the climb itself, though, unlike some of our racing tracks, rather than, and they call corners number one, two, three, whatever, each of ours has a respective name which reflects upon the Bugatti Owners Club and the individuals that were with us. So our very first corner is at Torres, second one is Pardon, Rolt Corner is the sharp little left-hand turn after the straight really, or which is obviously named after the engineer that put together the track. And then there's the semicircle. So as a, as a commentator and as a driver, you have the individuality of which corner you've made a complete bungalow. <laughs> <laughs> the semicircle originally had a hedge around the outside of it. <laughs> All right. yes. And yes. in that hedge, there appeared a hole <laughs> where a, a well-known driver went through the hedge. Yeah. And from there on, while the hedge survived, mm. that hole was always known as Allard's Gap. All right. <laughs> and it was Sidney Allard, the founder of the Allard Motor Company, who, who put the hole in the hedge. Yeah. We've always been lucky in terms of the honourable individuals who have been here. Uh, Lord Raglan was our president for a long time. Lord Howe was both a competitor with his ERAs internationally as well. Um, and he was the secretary for a big pun, he was the chairman. Uh, which may suggest that maybe maybe my letter to Her Majesty this week will actually enable me to have an honour of some, some <laughs> substance bestowed on my shoulders. But anyway, pass over that one. But the most important part of Lord Howe was that he was a member of Parliament and he was also the minister in charge of transport. So past the Second World War, when certain elements of petrol were becoming a little scarce, which is probably an area we're going into at the moment, he was able to facilitate substantial amounts of petrol for those <laughs> having Bugattis to enjoy the hill climb. Now that is policy I rather approve of. Yes. Uh, Earl Howe was <clears throat> actually a very successful racing driver. As an independent, uh, he raced Bugattis on the continent, not just here, and, and then he went on to race a lot of other cars, Maserati, ERA, and he was a very successful racing driver. And of course he had hoped after the war to save Brooklands, but he failed to do so yeah. sadly. Yeah. And so Brooklands is nowadays a pale shadow of its former self. Regret regrettably, yes, it's somewhere I have been, and apart from like the uh, the test hill and a little bit of banking, and that's more or less it. There's not a lot there anymore. But there's some of the buildings are there, which is quite nice to see. But even the competitive events aren't especially competitive events. I always look at Brooklands whenever I go there, and it has always saddened me. I went there before anything had been done to it, mm. and drove round it illicitly. <laughs> but I once did that at Manicor, much of the surprise of the caretaker. Anyway, I, I always feel, I always console myself with the probably mistaken belief that sometime in the future someone will realise the importance of it and say, this is the first ever motor racing course built anywhere in the world. Correct. And we've allowed this to happen to yeah. it, and we should now put it right and put it, put back, it back put it back <laughs> the, f the french are quite good at organizing things like that but we seem to be a little bit behind the curve 
which is clearly a disappointment. I mean, somebody, I know we're slightly drifting away from the subject, but uh, an author in France has just put together a book that I was very kindly given as a birthday gift by the famous French diva who I refer to on a regular basis. And it's all the famous French hill climbs mm. and circuits, but most of the circuits that the book concentrates on are the road circuits, the town circuits. Correct. And in the book, besides the photographs, there's maps. Mm. And these circuits, to a degree, still exist. Okay, mm. on that junction, there could well be a supermarket now, but you can pick out and drive the circuits. It's like you said, England has never put great store in in many ways in preserving its motoring and motor racing heritage or or even shown enough respect for the drivers involved uh, the great hero within the Bugatti world of course is Williams who won the first ever Monaco Grand Prix yeah. in 1929 the trophy for that event is over there the, owned by the Bugatti Owners Club given to the Bugatti Owners Club by Williams's widow yeah and we still use that trophy for poor races. Incredibly historic trophy. And yet Williams, by most people, even motorsport enthusiasts, is almost unknown. Yeah. And yet he was the most successful British Grand Prix driver between the war years, between 1918 and 1939. He won war Grand Prix and all those we seem to worship, like yeah. Seagrave and Seaman, etc. Um, Williams was more successful and he was an amateur basically. He, yeah. Bugatti paid him by giving him the odd car. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, you won that Grand Prix and we've just made a fortune out of the publicity. Yeah. Take well, home the car. We, we've got this car we can't sell. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Maybe right. you'd like to. Here's one we wrecked earlier, have yeah. that one. Yeah. Talking about circuits, I mean, we said Brooklands was the very first European circuit in 1907. Then it was followed by Italian and, and German and the French, of course. But Lord Howe, post Second World War, came up with three opportunities in this country because he felt the importance of having a circuit and a racing facility, which would be on a similar par to those in Europe, should be acquired and should be put together in this part of the world. He put forward to Parliament a proposal for three tracks, oddly enough two are in your part of the world, east and west of uh, the Pennines. Uh, that was refused, there was no government money, um, and ever since I don't think it's ever been raised, and of course we still have concerns about our existing race tracks in this part of the world, in England per se, of, of uh, being squandered by, um, by people who don't like racing. Now the interesting thing is, I mean, Prescott is, I've just sat in the paddock and had lunch. It's a very civilised place. <laughs> uh, they're both laughing here, aren't yeah, we? You are coming from the north. <laughs> so the further south you come per kilometre, the more intelligent and more... Oh, no, no, that's a, that's a vulgar <laughs> word for you. I beg your pardon, I apologise. I can hear them all turning the rear. I'm sorry, I apologise for that. I apologise for that. I went to school in King's School Ely's, which is which is your part of the country, East. But no, I, I think I think it's a gentleman's club to be enjoyed with good food, good company, exciting cars, and you go home and think, I've had a lovely day's racing. Because the one thing that stands out, I mean, when you turn off the road and turn into Prescott, you've got the Bugatti Trust to your right, 
you've got the Bugatti Ornish Club offices to your left where we're sat now there's the shop a little bit further up but there's the rather magnificent clubhouse uh, when was that built because I mean it's it's very reminiscent of say a golf club's clubhouse it's a very impressive building I mean you go to some other places and the clubhouse is well it's that shed over there I mean it's very impressive uh, yes but it was built over a period of time it wasn't all done in one in one hit yeah and of course we might occasionally look at it and say there are things we could improve now and and we are still improving yeah um, and so yes it's meant to be a venue for anybody who's using Prescott right so anybody who comes here is welcome in the clubhouse they can get meals there uh, they can go there for a drink socialize and they can even stand in the clubhouse and look out over the hill yeah and we're, we're, try, we're trying to orchestrate now I mean last weekend we had uh, a meeting which is called the Italia Day rather than Italia and the French boys so we'll have French next year so the whole theme of our food was Italian yeah. so today by the way just putting in if you wonder what you can hear the hill has just gone live again so you'll hear some rather nice engines in the background ah that's the 300S Maserati which I managed to persuade to fire up an original that was raced by Moss and Beera and won the Nürburgring Sorry to interrupt you there, Nick. I mean, it's well worth interrupting you to listen to that noise. But I agree. You were saying about the clubhouse and its its facilities. I mean, is it open a lot of the time? No, it's it's open at every meeting we have here. Yeah. And then it is used for other events, so it can be used for uh, breakfast club. You yeah. know, where people just turn up, have breakfast, bring their interesting cars, park their cars here, talk. Actually, yep. there's there's no pressure to do anything really. They stay as long as they want, or they have their breakfast and go. Yeah. Uh, but it's used for events such as people's uh, club members have their retirement parties, their wedding parties, mm. and so there are so many things it can be used for. It can be used for talks. It can be used for presentations, and and it's big enough to have you know people want to have cars in there to part of a presentation they could do so yeah so well, one comment I'd make on on that is that you do not have to have a Bugatti to become a member I was going to move on to that that's very unusual for having said that they're a bit pricey and there's not a lot of them so <laughs> otherwise <laughs> it could be a club of I very think, small uh, numbers there's, there's a uh, there's a comment I men found some weeks ago Lemon Burton was one of the original members and when they were short of members, I think after 18 months they had about 30, 32. And the comment was amongst the council was that they should print a few more and walk down Bond Street and put it on the windscreen of those Bugattis that they saw in Bond Street. Yeah. Which I think is really well <laughs> Now I can't do that now in the middle of Bond Street now because you're more likely to find you probably uh, get arrested if you didn't say, like say, say Well, the, the lady who owned my car bought it new. Yeah. She lived in Scolby, which is an, on the outskirts of Scarborough, mm. and she had a hat shop in yeah. Bond Street. <laughs> and she could drive her Bugatti from Scarborough to Bond Street in four and a quarter hours. I think you'd be hard pushed to do that today. Yes. And there were no dual carriageways, <laughs> no motorways, and you went through every town centre. 
Now, looking at the today's programme, one thing that uh, you guys now do, but I doubt if you'd recommend using a Bugatti for it, you can learn how to stunt drive, can't you? We can, you can indeed. The gentleman is, uh, is the husband of our general manager, Gemma Price, and he holds a number of Guinness records uh, for stunt driving. So we're going to have a stunt school here very shortly. So if you and I want to drive from here to Cheltenham, not that you're allowed to, but you should be able to, <laughs> on two wheels, you'll be taught. And I think the most important one is actually how to reverse into a parking spot. Um, I'm going to be very practical here, watching my wife over the years park at Waitrose and other places like that, and the bollards she's hit over the years. <laughs> I'm going to put that down for this course. You may have to edit that bit. No, 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 no I'm sorry, it stops in. It stops in. No, it goes for it. But, yeah. uh, sorry, it was Gemma Price who was this her idea to bring the stuff right and she and her husband her husband is the uh, entrepreneur behind it yeah and he holds as i say a number of national championships uh, and uh, guinness records indeed and it was put to the council a few weeks ago we thought it was a brilliant idea yeah so it, it gives you um, that facility to park your car <laughs> go on two wheels um no i think it's a new adventure we are very open very open to new and ideas for the club rather than repeating many of the events that historically have gone on and I think that goes back to COVID and the restrictions that we had and it gave us an ability and my our council to refresh a great number of the respective events to take them forward and to a great extent our members have been supportive of that and the new people have come and joined us um, <clears throat> seem to accolade that as a rubber stamp of success. I mean, you were saying that you look to take Prescott forward at the Bugatti Odis Club forward. What what are the plans are in the pipeline? Well, that's really a strategic question to me. Suffice to say, we've we've come out of COVID. Uh, we went into COVID with our finances were a little weak. Uh, we've ended up here. We are in the start of June two thousand and twenty-two with a strong bank account. The estate has been magnificently brought forward and looked after. We put in a lot of uh, additional facilities, including looking after the clubhouse and putting new caterers in. Um, we've been adventurous in terms of offering the hill both to one class, I mean, for instance, last year we had McLaren here. Um, we've had various other offers for those, but more importantly, We've opened up new class events. We've had new uh, FASI for uh, club Sponsors. concerts. Um, I think we're widening, we're widening the scope because I'm very conscious that if I could have 10, 15, 20 Bugatti cars competing in a day's competition, those days may well have been weakened. Mm. We have a strong contingent of four or five but others tend not to bring their cars now and compete, either because of their value or their age or the fact that young drivers are not taking over the cars. Yeah. So if we can exercise the top end of the Peugeot boys, we have the National Hill Climb Championship as well as the Midland Championships, and those, of course, are all single-seaters with pointed noses and huge amounts of power, um, then that's being successful 
and progressing that. You you have to be aware that the Bugatti Owners Club is an all-inclusive club. Yeah. And so anybody can join the club. Anybody can compete here at Prescott. Mm. You you do not have to have a racing car. Um, so long as your car complies with the technical regulations as controlled by the MSUK, Transport yeah. UK, so long as it complies, you can take your road car and hill climb it and you will be running in a class that's handicapped. Right. So, so because your car is the slowest, doesn't mean yeah. it can't still win. No. It depends entirely on the handicap. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he doesn't choose who wins, but yeah. he tries to make it fair. Yeah. So, so there's a chance for everybody. Absolutely. There's a great. chance for everybody, and it is all inclusive. It's not just about Bugatti. No. It is the Bugatti Owners Club, and, and it is where Bugatti owners come to first, but it is for everybody. We had the Ferrari boys here a few weeks ago. We had the um, Porsche school the other day. We had 42 Porsches uh, looked after by the local Porsche agency and highly successful. Good. Somebody wants to find out more about Prescott and the Bugatti Owners Club. What's the best way? On the website, social media, whatever. Ring me. <laughs> no, no, no. Go, go, go on your website. There's a very good website. It gives you all the divisions that we have within the club. That's both the driver's school, the events that are coming up, the events that we have specialist open days. Uh, we have the summer party for Bugatti owners, which is an elegant afternoon of entertainment with a, with a, with a, a glass of champagne and lots of Bugattis. Um, that's the way in. Come and see us. We'll be delighted to look after you. We'll show you around the school, show you around the club, show you around the hill, and, um, and we'll welcome you warmly. Nick Upton, chairman of the Bugatti Owners Club. John Stavely, who I shall call for the uh, sake of brevity, editor of Bugantics magazine. Thank you very much for joining me on the Backseat Drive Radio Show. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. And as always, it's a pleasure to be here at Prescott. Thank you. Thank you. on price never beaten on service whether it's cars bikes or commercials Hoddy tires are the best in the business and when it comes to tire expertise and advice to supplying the correct tires for your vehicle specific requirements nobody comes close to david lakin and the Hoddy tires team so give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytires.co.uk